Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Pat Cummins. I'm Josh Hazelwood. I'm Lisbon Kawaja. I'm Mitch Marsh. I'm Mitch Stark, and you're listening to the Unplayable Podcast. This is the Unplayable Podcast. Thank you for listening. Sam Ferris and Australia legend Mike Hussey joining you today to recap England's gargantuan win in the third RDI at Trent Bridge where they scored a whopping 481. Preview the next match and debate the latest backward point. So, Mike, you've just woken up right. Uh, you've rolled over. You've opened the CA Live app to check the overnight scores. Uh, what was your reaction when you saw the result? Yeah, g'day, Sam. Uh, I picked the wrong uh, time to come on the podcast, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, it wasn't pretty, I must admit. I, I did wake up, check the scores uh, pretty much straight away and uh, couldn't really believe what I was seeing. So, uh, yeah, disappointing night uh, day for Australia. Um, and obviously England are absolutely flying, playing some fantastic one-day cricket. And, uh, yeah, a bit of a humiliating loss, I guess, for Australia. So, Mike, England, uh, having been sent in by Tim Payne, they made six for 481, which is the highest total in ODI cricket, beating the three for 444 they scored against Pakistan at the same venue a couple of years back. Alex Hales made 147, Bairstow 139, Jason Roy 82, and Al Morgan a whirlwind 67 off 30 balls. And for the Aussies, everybody got hammered. Andrew Tyres, nine overs, cost an even 100. In reply, the Aussies were bought out for 239 in 37 overs, with heads 51, the only half century. So where do we start? Mike, I guess we before we get into the Aussies, we probably should touch on the performance by England and what a, an amazing performance. If you put together a, a one-day performance and rank it out of 10, I'm sure it's got to be a 10, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, it's got to be right up there. Uh, yeah, well, I went to bed just after Jason Roy got out uh, and he, he ran himself out for 80-odd and uh, as he was walking off, he was absolutely cursing himself. He knew <laughs> that he had a huge 100 there for him and uh, you could see how disappointed he was. Uh, Alex Hales obviously came in uh, under a bit of pressure too, because uh, there's been a lot of talk of who's going to make way when Ben Stokes is back fit and available. And uh, all the talk has been Alex Hales. Well, I don't think they can do that now, because uh, what mm. an innings he must have played. Uh, and, and under pressure, I guess. You know, when, you, when your career's on the line or your spot's on the line, to come out and play an innings like that must be very satisfying. And, and then it just gives so much freedom to the rest of the players to be able to come in around such a good start to be able to just, just go for it, really. And, and they, they just rejig the batting order a little bit. Standing up Josh Butler, why wouldn't you? He's in great touch as well. And then Owen Morgan coming back after a slight injury uh, and just, you know, teeing off, really. Imagine being able to push Joe Root down the order to that number seven <laughs> uh, by the end of it. So, uh, yeah, England obviously on top of their game at the moment. The Aussies obviously missing quite a few of their key players or our key players and uh, and down on confidence. It's probably got to be said. And, uh, and yeah, we've just absolutely belted all around Trent Bridge. Now, Mike, you've played with some of the best and against some of the best one-day teams of the modern era. England, the number one team in the world at the moment. I mean, where do they rank? I mean, it seems like their their eleven is just so composed and so well balanced. Yeah, I look at this England one-day team, and it's obviously a fantastic team. Um, the batting looks really, really strong. I guess the only question mark over is, is just the the attack. I just feel like they're one world-class seamer short of, of being one of the great one-day teams of all time. Um, and, I, and I'm not saying that it's a poor bowling attack whatsoever. You know, they've got some good spinners in there. Adil Rashid in particular is, is very, very good. Um, but just that, you know, that world-class 
fast bowler that can really just uh, you know take the game away from the opposition. Um, it, it, it's just it's just probably the one missing link uh, to that England team being you know um, well what I think could be the the, the World Cup favourites come next year in their in their home country. But um, it, it's still a, a brilliant team. Uh, it, it really is. And uh, and and as I said, I don't, I don't want to put down the quicks that they've got because they're obviously doing the job as well. That could be Joffre Archer. I think last week the Daily Mail reported that he will qualify for England before the World Cup, so it might be him that comes in that side, Mike. Well, quite possibly. Uh, but that, that's been one of the strengths of, of the England team. I, I, I think back to the uh, 2015 World Cup, and, and they had a very poor tournament and, and were knocked out early. And they've made some radical changes to the way they've played cricket and who they've selected. Um, you know, obviously a lot more aggression at the top of the order. Um, you know, with guys like Jason Roy and, and Hale coming in. And, and even if they've gone through... You know, some, some form of slumps, they've stuck with them because they know this is the right formula to play one success, uh, successful one-day cricket uh, moving forward. And, and so I, I think what they've been able to do is get a core cool group of players um, that, that deserve to be there, um, who picked on merit, uh, and, and they've stuck with them. They've shown that faith in selection, and that really means a lot to a player. Uh, rather than chopping and changing if, if, you know, you have a couple of bad scores or, or, or a couple of losses. And, and so, yeah, you might say Joffre Archer is that, 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 that missing link. But, again, he still needs to be able to earn that right to play for England. You know, I, I don't think they should just say, OK, let's just get him in there because he's quick. And he could be that world-class, um, you know, fast bowler that we need. Um, no, the guys in the, in the team are doing the job at the moment. Um, let's stick with them, let's show some faith in them. And if, if Joff Ranch can really dominate, or, or someone like Joff Ranch can dominate the level below uh, and earn his place in there, then fine, let, let's, let's open up something for him then. But that's certainly been one of the strengths of the England team since that 2015 World Cup. I, I get the feeling Australia are obviously missing a, a lot of key players, but, uh, you know, with certain selections... Um, uh, you know, are, are sort of looking ahead towards the future uh, and looking ahead uh, to how one-day cricket needs to be played. So we need to be patient with with um, with, with guys like a Darcy Short and, and even like a Steiner, who has been doing quite well as well. Um, but they're more that sort of modern one-day sort of player. Mike, that, that raises the question about the World Cup next year. Australia have six first-choice players out, if you count Steve Smith, Dave Warner, Mitchell Stark, Pat Cummins, Josh Hazelwood and Mitchell Marsh. So assembling this team now under Justin Langer and Tim Payne, who's only the temporary captain, are they looking at building the team now and putting those players back in, or is this just about getting experience to these players, looking ahead of the future, knowing that the World Cup squad and the World Cup 11, their best 11, is going to be vastly different? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And I know it probably seems like it's doom and gloom for the Australian team at the moment. Um, and, and in some ways it is. I, I worry about maybe some mental scars for some of these guys that are, are getting taught a serious lesson, lesson about international cricket um, moving forward. But the, 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 the silver lining for us is that, that, that we're, we're building a lot of depth. Um, we're exposing a lot of players that, you know, in, in any other stage, maybe not get an opportunity at all. Um, they're experiencing what it's like to play international cricket uh, and also for the coaches and the selectors are finding out perhaps who's got it and, and maybe who doesn't quite have it. And, and so that's a positive. Um, but I, I just, I guess I just worry that if we're picking guys that are maybe not quite ready, which, which we have to at the moment because obviously we're missing so many players, then it can have that ongoing mental uh, scarring effect. So let, let's hope that doesn't happen. That's a good point because this one-day squad only had a couple of players from the South Africa Test squad that went through everything that happened over there, as we all know. This one now uh, is going to have 
as you said, maybe some mental scarring against the best one-day team in the world when they go and play their next year in the World Cup. What kind of effect will this have, Mike, or will they be able to brush it off and use that as experience? Well, yeah, let's hope they can uh, brush it off. Uh, it's not going to be easy, but, but uh, as you said, if you get, say, six first-choice players back in, it changes the dynamic of the team uh, immeasurably, really. But to win a World Cup, you can't just be relying on six of your best players. You need every single player in your uh, 11 to be contributing on a consistent basis. And so I guess there are going to be some guys that are playing in this series now that are going to be involved in the World Cup next year. You know, it's, it's not a long time away, and... And that's the one thing that does concern me is that leading into a World Cup year, you want to have continuity with your team. You want to get the guys playing together, um, get, get, getting the understanding, the communication out in the middle, knowing their roles very well and feeling comfortable around each other. And that's what England have been able to do. And that's why I think they probably will go into the World Cup as favourites because they have got such a settled team uh, and they've been playing together for quite a period of time now. Now, Australia's not going to have that luxury. We are going to have some quality players coming back in, but they're not going to have much time to really build that continuity and, and communication between the group. We're looking a bit far ahead now, Mike, but Steve Smith and Dave Warner will come into that. Well, their suspensions will have been lifted by the time the World Cup comes around. They won't have played any one-day cricket. They'll probably have the IPL behind them. Are they automatic walk-ins now after what we've seen over there in the last couple of matches? Well, it, it, it's hard to say so far out, but you know the quality of player they are, you, you, you'd probably say they are. Um, as long as they do everything right uh, in, in the lead-up, their preparation, they're in good, they're in good touch. Um, you know, skills-wise, they're in, they're in good fitness, um, no injury concerns, um, and and you know they've done all the right things preparation-wise, and, and plus obviously um, behavioural-wise as well that they've done all the right things. Then you'd think they'd probably have to come straight back in. And, um, you know, because they are such quality players, they've been quality players for such a long period of time um, that they've had success at the highest level and, and are important players for Australia. So, yeah, I, I, I think they'll probably do as long as they pick all the boxes along the way. Hey, Mark, you're Justin Langer. You've got the team in the sheds after that absolute whopping. What do you say to the Aussies? Oh, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't be getting angry and kicking cans and throwing things around the dressing room and abusing uh, players or anything like that. I, I think. You just need to sit down calmly, go through it uh, pragmatically and, and logically, and, and just, yes, I think it's important to, to review and, and maybe look at the things of, of why England are playing so well and and then try to focus on, on what we do well and what our best game looks like, uh, what, what are the strengths of our team and what are the strengths of our players, and then try and move on as quickly as possible to the next game uh, up in Durham uh, and, and really try and turn it around there. Uh, England will be trying to hope, obviously, high on confidence, but abusing the players and uh, you know uh, denigrating their performance and being harsh on them will only dampen the, the confidence of the Australian players even more. So I think it's about trying to review it briefly, but then start focusing on on what we need to do and 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 what is the what are the positives and what and what are the strengths of the Australian team and trying to build the confidence back up as quickly as possible because I'm sure it's going to be at a very low ebb at the moment. All right, here's some stats from last night's game, Mike. It's the highest one-day international total ever. It's England's biggest win. It's Australia's biggest loss. There were 21 sixes hit, which is the second most ever in a one-day. The, the record's 22 by New Zealand, who did it in a 21-over game, if you can believe that. There were 62 boundaries all up. That's the most ever. 
Ty is the second Australian to concede 100 runs in a one-day match after Mick Lewis. Owen Morgan's 50 came off 21 balls. That's the fastest for England. And Morgan is now England's leading one-day run scorer. It's the first time since 1977 that England have won back-to-back one-day series against Australia. And the first time Australia have lost four straight bilateral one-day series. And, Mike, you were in that game at the Wanderers, the 4-3-4 game where bowls was getting pogered everywhere. And you're, when you're in the field... And you're a bowler. I mean, what can you do when the pitch is that good and the batsmen are in such good form? <laughs> Not a lot. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't bowling that day in uh, in Johannesburg. That's for sure. But uh, it, it it's just so hard to stop. It, you, you just feel like there. Well, in Johannesburg, it felt like there was a four or a six every single over. I mean, the batsmen were hardly taking any risks to do so. It just seemed so easy, and, and the bowlers had no answers. Whatever whatever they tried seemed to just go and go for boundaries, and uh, it was really frustrating. Um, but you just almost feel helpless in that situation. So I'm sure the Aussie bowlers and, and fielders would have felt like that last night. Um, yeah, 480, 80, 81 was it? That's just an incredible score, and uh, it's absolutely smashed the records, really. Um, you know, I remember playing that game in Johannesburg, and, and John Buchanan has been challenging the team to get a 400 in a one-day international um, all summer, you know, throughout the Australian summer and then overseas, and, and we were sort of, St. John, you know, come on, it can't be done when they put the field back. And he said, no, with this team, you can. You know, you've got to believe that you can. He kept pushing us towards it. And when we actually made 400, we, we, we couldn't believe it ourselves. But and then you, it's amazing. We, we ended up getting 434. You just, you know, powered past the 400 mark. And uh, I'm sure England would have been thinking the same. Let's just ride the wave and just keep going. And uh, we're playing with confidence. We've got nothing to lose. And, uh, yeah, it's a great place to be when you're on that side of it. It's a horrible place to be when you're uh, on, on the opposing side. And they probably should have got 500. They didn't hit a boundary in the last 28 deliveries, so they butchered 500. <laughs> well, I'm glad I was sound asleep when that was all happening. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it must have been uh, amazing. I'll probably have to go back and watch uh, watch some of the highlights of the replay. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I do. I, I sort of touched on it earlier about the scars, you know, and and I, I feel for some of the bowls because. Unfortunately, you're going to carry that around with you for the rest of your career. Um, you know, I, I often bump into people and they talk about, oh, Mick Lewis was that guy that went for 100, you know. And, and so Andrew Ty is going to be another one of those guys that, you know, in a lot of ways, he's, he's done so well uh, for the Scorchers and, and for, you know, in the IPL, he's done well. But a lot of people are unfortunately going to remember him for going for 100 in, in, in a one-day international. And um, it, it's, it's not the sort of thing you want to be remembered by. And, and I know with Mick Lewis, um, it, it certainly had a, had a mental effect on him for quite a period of time. Well, Mike, there's one thing we've got to stop doing. We've got to stop playing at Trent Bridge because they got scored 481 overnight. Australia conceded 481. They were 60 all out in 2015. They lost that thrilling test match in 2013. <laughs> they lost in 2005, that Ashes series, to go 2-1 down. And the worrying thing is they played two one-day games there uh, in the World Cup against the Windies and Bangladesh. Mike, is this coincidence that all these things are happening at Trent Bridge, or is there something about the venue that's causing these sort of results for the Aussies? <laughs> well, let's hope it's a coincidence. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. England is a, a really unique place to play, I, I must admit. Uh, when, you, when you first go over there, and particularly if it's early season, uh, from a batting point of view, it can be really difficult. The ball can just seam around everywhere. You, you, you don't have any timing. You've got no rhythm in your play, and, and you just feel all at sea. And then after about a month of being in the UK, something just clicks. You get used to the pitches, you get used to the conditions, and the timing comes, and and and, and batting starts to feel really easy. And um, yeah, it's it's just it's a, I can't really explain why or you know what what happens there. But um, yeah, 
maybe there's certain grounds in there that just uh, you, you, you like playing at and, uh, and certain grounds. I, I, for example, I hated playing at Headingley in Yorkshire. For whatever reason, there, there was a little slope there. There was um, It was always a bit overcast and moving around. And I just could not get runs at Headingley, no matter what I tried, no matter who I played for. So let's hope that Trent Bridge isn't that uh, bogey crown for Australia. I'm sure it's not because it's a great place to play. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure we've had some good performances there over the years. I, I think if my memory serves me correct, didn't Mark Taylor and Jeff Marsh bat throughout a whole day uh, for Australia without losing a wicket uh, at Trent Bridge? So we do have some good memories there. That's right. And before last night, Australia had been undefeated in one-day internationals against England at that ground. They won two games in three days in 2009. So the perfect yeah, record's so gone. Go, don't, don't, don't worry too much. We'll be fine. We'll turn it around. I'm Mitch Marsh, and you're listening to the Unplayable Podcast. Let's look ahead to the fourth match in the series. Mike, uh, Australia's batting order has chopped and changed each game. Aaron Finch has probably been the biggest talking point. He's down at number five. Do you like him there at five, Michael? Would you like to see Aaron Finch back at the top of the order? Yeah, it's a really good question. I'm sure it's coming down to the, the balance of the team and um, and how they can get the best out of everyone. So Darcy Short's probably um, more suited to batting at the top of the order than, than batting in the middle. Uh, and so that means that, you know you're probably trying to get the best of both worlds, uh, helping. Uh, Darcy Short to get his uh, ideal position. Aaron Finch is quite an experienced player and, and quite flexible. I, I must admit, I, I initially thought that Aaron Finch um, is best suited to the top of the order, and he probably still is. Uh, he can be so dynamic and so destructive, uh, getting Australia off to fast starts. So I think about his combination with um, with David Warner over the over the last few years, or basically around that World Cup time in 2015. And, and when they got Australia off to a flying start, then Australia won just about every single game. So it's probably the best spot for him. However, I have seen him bat in the middle order in T20 games at the IPL over the last couple of seasons, and he does an amazing job. He really is um, a natural in that role. He comes in and seems to find the middle of the bat straight away. He seems to be able to find the boundary straight away. Even if the field is back, he's got power to be able to clear the fence. And I've been really impressed with how he's played in that middle order role. So I... A bit like Marcus Stoinis, I thought, no, he's got to be the finisher for Australia, but he's actually done a really good job up the order. I think Aaron Finch, where in the mind it was always, no, he's got to be at the top of the order. Well, now I'm starting to soften on that a little bit as well because I have seen him do such a great job through the middle. Again, this goes ahead 12 months, so will Aaron Finch be in the middle order for the World Cup if David Warner comes back? They are Australia's best one-day opening batsman, the partnership for the past five or six years, surely you want those two guys together, don't you? <laughs> Probably. <Yeah. laughs> I guess maybe a lot depends on um, on where Steve Smith's going to bat. Uh, um, I guess it, it, it depends on the balance of that team um, and, and who else is going to be around. If, if our middle order isn't as strong as, as what we'd like, then maybe he bats down the order. Um, but like, yeah, in an ideal world, um, if we've got a really strong middle order, you throw Mitch Marsh in there, um, maybe a uh, yeah, Steve Smith back into the middle order, um, and perhaps he can go back to the top. Maybe a lot depends on Darcy Short as well. If, if he can show a bit, um, you know, in, in the last few matches of the T20s, um, and then also have a really good strong summer back in Australia and, and try and make that opening position his own, um, then maybe he stays in the middle. I don't know. I guess there's a lot of questions to be answered, but in, in my mind, an ideal world, you'd have him at the top. Absolutely, and there's still Chris Lynn. He's got to come back in this squad. He's in the Champions Trophy squad, so there is there is a lot of batting depth there. It's just getting them all in the park at the same time. 
Mike, Australia's had a bit of trouble right. against spin bowling uh, in this series, and it's been uh, that way for a number of years now. They lost seven wickets of spin, albeit going hell for leather to try and chase that world record score. But in the previous games, Moeen Ali and Abdul Rashid have been taking constant wickets. Um, the Aussies have said, Aaron Finch said, that they've been doing a lot of practice in the nets in the lead-up to these games, focusing on spin bowling. But how does it keep happening? You would think England would be a place where spin bowling wouldn't be as effective, but it just seems against the Aussies, it's their kryptonite. Yeah, it, it has been a concern for, for quite a period of time, and it's good to hear that they're doing a lot of work on it, and it's a big focus of the team um, to, to, you know, to get better against playing spin. Um, in, in my mind, it, it comes down to... I think that the, they talked about it after the first game, when none of the top five... Um, went on to get a big score. I think everyone got a good start. We, Australia got off to a flying start with the bat, with Aaron Finch at the top of the order, and then no one went on to it. The, you know, if you remember back, uh, Moeen Ali came on, Rashid came on, and and got wickets. Uh, and and basically, you got new batsmen coming in, starting it in, which is never easy. Uh, what we need to do, and and the Aussies touched on it, is when two guys get in at the top, they need to go on, and they need to get really big scores. That that that's what. In the past, the past great teams, Ricky Ponting would go on and score 100, or uh, Adam Gilchrist or Mark Waugh. These guys, they wouldn't just get out for 20 or 30 or 40. They'd go on and, and play a match-winning score. And, and you just need someone from your top uh, three or four to go on and score 100. And then that makes the spinners have to work so much harder. If, if the spinners can come on, get an early wicket, and get new bats into the crease, they're so effective. But if you've got two players in and set and scoring freely... And then the spinners come on. They have to bowl more defensively, and the field will spread a lot more, and um, and and you'll be able to rotate them a lot easier. So it's it, it's probably more that tactically making sure that our top three or four batsmen taking that responsibility and getting big scores. Mike, what about Tim Payne batting at number seven? He's only the temporary one-day captain. They made that pretty clear. And he's in the side because they want to keep the messaging consistent, Justin Langer and Tim Payne, after everything that's happened in South Africa. He's batting at seven. He probably doesn't have the pyrotechnics to clear the boundary late in the innings. You've got a guy, Alex Carey, in the squad sitting on the sidelines who does have that power and who's been extremely effective in T20 cricket. Uh, Is Payne going to be there in 12 months? I know his leadership is outstanding and you want to have him in the side for that reason. But as a keeper batter, does he keep his spot for the next 12 months? Uh, it, it's a tough one. I think you, you start there with the leadership side of things. You know, we're, we're the teams at the moment. We're trying to gain back a bit of respect um, and, and trying to, I, I guess, um, reaffirm what they stand for as a team and as, and as a country, I guess, and how we want to play the game. That that continuity and consistency of message is going to be important in the short term um, but once those things are established then yeah I, I don't think we should be picking players because um, you know they're, they're, they're necessarily just, just a good leader we need to pick the best players but then hopefully they've got that cultural uh, base in place that, that whoever comes in um, they, they just know exactly what's expected of them uh, from a behavioural point of view and, and, and what the culture of the team demands of them as well. So, uh, yeah, we, we need to be looking at who, who's our best team um, and, and the best players to, to play in that team. So, yeah, look, looking ahead, I, I, I guess in answering your question, I'm not sure in 12 months' time Tim Payne will be there um, uh, because, yeah, you, as you say, you, you, you want to try and... If, if you think Alex Carey's a better one-day option, then you, you're better off getting him in there. Uh, sooner rather than later, if if they're selectors thinking he is a better one-day option. 
Right. Uh, what about the bowlers, Mike? They had a terrible time at Trent Bridge. Uh, there's not a whole lot of options in the squad. Kane Richardson didn't play that game. Billy Stanlake was in. Uh, so Kane Richardson on the sidelines. We've got Nathan Lyon, the, the veteran spinner. Hasn't played yet. The last two games in Durham and Manchester. Manchester, notable for taking a bit of spin. So will we see him in there? I mean, what can they do? Do they have to dust themselves off and get ready to play in less than 48 hours? Yeah, well, there's not a can do. It's, it's going to be more in the mind. Really trying to um, get back into a positive frame of mind, build the confidence up as much as they possibly can. Um, yeah, whether they can make some big changes. But look, the bowling attack's actually been doing reasonably well so far in the series, apart from last night. Um, even the talk coming out of the camp, the interviews that I've heard, they've been pretty happy with how the bowlers have been going, um, doing a, a reasonably good job. Um, I... I I'd be tempted to get Nathan Lyon in there. Um, his record in one-day cricket's pretty good. His recruiting rate's good. Uh, he's got that experience, so I think he could certainly slow, slow the English batsmen down a little bit. Uh, I think there's a lot of dangerous right-handers in the team, and that's maybe one of the reasons why I've been reluctant to get him in, in the England team, uh, against England. Um, and, and I'm not saying uh, Ashton Agar should make way either. I, I think he's actually a pretty good package, Ashton Agar. He's done well in short-form cricket. Um, being a left-arm spinner, turning the ball away from those right-handers is important. Um, he's made some handy runs and he's a gun in the field. So I, I, I'd be looking, if, if you wanted to bring Nathan Lyon in, I'd be looking to play the two spinners. And as you mentioned, Manchester in particular can turn. You have to check the conditions out over there. But I'd be even, you know, um, I'd, I'd be even considering bringing him in at Durham as well because just, just having that experience, uh, that know-how uh, and, and yeah, just, just knowing how to handle those pressure situations a bit better than maybe someone a little less experienced. What about England? I mean, they're probably not going to change their lineup, even though the series is 1 3 0. But, Mike, where's the weakness? Where's the one area that Australia can look to exploit and attack to try and get a win on the board? Well, as I touched on earlier, I, I, I only see, and I don't even see it as a weakness as such, but the, the seam bowling of England is, is tidy. It's, it's, um, it's, it's not. There's no world beater in there, I guess. Um, so, so that's the one area they can dominate. We're, obviously, there's been a lot of focus on playing the spinners better. Um, uh, so it, it's just about doing everything a little bit better. You know, the, the batsmen taking more responsibility. It was great to see Sean Marsh get 100 in the last game. And we just need a few more guys to bat around. And, you know, someone like, you know, someone like that scoring 100. Um, obviously, the, the bowlers were hammered last night. They can't put that behind. But everyone's been doing a, a decent job. Everyone just needs to try and go a little bit more. You know, yeah. If you get in at the bat, you need to go a little bit more. If you if you start well with the ball, you just got to try and I, I guess work as a partnership with the other end and just go just try and go a little bit better if you can. But um, there's not much the Aussies can do. I'm sure they're getting their best, um, and, and it's certainly not easy when you're playing against a team like England who are so confident. So it, it's not about drastic changes in my mind, uh, and it's not about panicking and 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 throwing. You know, uh, tantrums or anything like that. It's just about, okay, let's double down on the basics. Let's just try and do the basics a little bit better and for a little bit longer and, and, and try and work it, work around it that way. And, Mike, you touched on it before that England will head into next year's World Cup as one of the favourites, if not the favourite. Is there now even more pressure on them to win the World Cup given their form, given the way they've developed over the past three years leading into to next year, the world number one ranking, the way they're playing cricket and amassing these huge scores? If they don't win the World Cup, will that seem as a, as a failure, I guess? Look, there's, there's pressure on everyone in a World Cup. Um, and, and in some ways, there's a little bit more pressure if you're the host nation. Uh, and how you handle that can be a, a big 
you know, go a long way to whether you win or uh, win or lose the tournament. Um, but you know, England, I think they can come into the tournament with enormous confidence, uh, and, and enormous confidence because they've got a very, very good team. A team that's going to be feared by the other nations. That they've got continuity. Uh, they've been able to play together for quite a period of time now. Every player knows his role in the team. They, they probably feel confident in their place in the team. Um, they know that there's some good players that are out of the team that you know maybe in other countries that get a game. So that keeps you hungry as well. So all those ingredients put together should give the England team a lot of confidence. So I, th- I think the mindset coming into the World Cup was we've got a great chance. Let's play our way. Let's play our game. And, and if we play close to it, we're going to be hard to beat. Rather than going into it thinking, oh, no, we're the favourites. The pressure's all on us. Oh, we can't afford to lose. Or, you know, that, that's not the way to think about it. So um, I, I'm sure with the confidence around this team at the moment and the way they're I think, through Owen Morgan and Trevor Bayless, uh, you know, they'll, they'll go into this World Cup in a good frame of mind, I think. And you would have to think they take some positives about losing in the semi-final to Pakistan, the Champions Trophy last year. Again, they were expected to win that tournament the way they've been playing, but the shock loss. Now they've got that experience under their belt. They'll probably be better for it next year in the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, without doubt. Um, yeah, they've, they've got a fantastic team. They've been playing great cricket, and uh, they'll definitely go in with a lot of confidence to the World Cup. But yeah, you can't look up the other, the other teams. I've been watching Pakistan closely in the last uh, you know year or so. They're, they've got an exciting, dynamic uh, one-day team as well. You can't write off India. India, oh, they're a very good team as well. So um, it, it's not going to be easy for England, that's for sure. And, and look, not write off Australia yet either. You know, if you, you put some world-class players in that Aussie team, um, Hungary and uh, the underdogs, and, and no one expecting much from, and, and Australia could certainly uh, surprise a few as well. But, um, but yeah, England certainly has a standout at the moment. I'm Pat Cummins. Here's this week's Backward Point. All right, Mike. This week's Backward Point uh, is about the restrictions on bowlers in one-day cricket. So basically forever it's always been that a bowler in one-day cricket, basically when it was back to the 50 overs per side, they could only bowl a maximum of 10. So a minimum of five bowlers would have to bowl uh, in each match. But, Mike, everything is gearing towards batsmen. You're a batter, you know it. You always get the, the easy way out. I'm sure you'd admit bigger bats, smaller boundaries, field restrictions, two new balls, all that type of stuff. So what about uh, we what about we get rid of those restrictions for bowlers and make it unlimited for bowlers? I don't know, mate. I must admit, I haven't given this a lot of thought, but I'm not a fan off the bat, I've got to say. I think having the five different bowlers... Um, is, is a good thing for, for one-day cricket because it makes it, it, a lot of strategy comes in. Which bowlers are you going to pick for which conditions? Um, uh, you, you, it sort of helps different types of players. You don't just want one or two types of bowlers uh, in, in one-day cricket. You want a, a variety. Certainly, from a, from a, 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 a again a strategic point of view, you, you're sort of targeting certain types of bowlers, and, and I might be able to target one particular type, and you might be able to target someone else. So. There's a lot of strategy that goes involved in it as well. And, uh, so I think it's really good for the game to have a variety of different bowlers having to bowl you know, uh, their quota of overs. If, if you said, OK, well, let, let's say, for example, you've got, I don't know, Dale Stane and Rashid Khan in, in your team, and you say, right, you guys are just going to bowl 25 overs each, then you know, it, it, it probably gets a bit boring, really. You want to see a different variety. And, and the other guys in the team, what are they just meant to stand around and and uh, a few fielders, you know, that's not, that's not uh, enjoyable. So, um, no, I'm not a fan of that, to be honest, but I, I think I like the idea of having to, to 
But don't you want to see the best contest all the time? If you've got Dale Stane running in and he's bowled an amazing spell of six for six overs, three for 13 or something like that, and then he can't bowl anymore because his overs are up, you want to see the best contest all the time. Like in Test cricket, they can just keep going and going. And I think it would be a remarkable feat to see two bowlers bowl 25 overs at a time. You still need options out there, but it's about getting the best bowlers bowling against the best batsmen more often. Yeah, well, I, I understand what you're saying, but... Um, it's- you know, Nobody in twenty in Test match cricket bowls twenty five overs in a row. You'd still have multiple options. You just got to be able to have that option of prolonging a bowler's spell, being able to use them more often. Well, bowl them six overs or seven. Bowl them their full ten straight out, out if you want. It doesn't bother me. Um, you know, if you want to see that great contest, it's fine. Let's have Dale Stone bowl first ten overs of the game against Steve Smith. It'd be awesome. Yeah, great. I knew I should have asked a bowler this because a batter was never going to agree with it. <laughs> You're making out that it's easy for the batsman to score runs. You know, if it was easy for batsmen to score runs, everyone in the modern day would be averaging what? Like Bradman, 95, 100, 85, but no one is. A the team just is still much the same as what's been going on. A team just scored 481. How is it not getting easier for batsmen? Mate, Australia only scored 200 and... What did we score? 239. In 37 overs. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just saying, mate, I like... I, I don't think it's getting easier for batsmen. The, the, the bat sizes have decreased a bit, you know, and um, the bowlers are getting smarter with what they're bowling. There's lots of different deliveries. We're seeing mystery bowlers emerge out of out of uh, nowhere, like, you know, um, Rashid Khan from Afghanistan. What a, what a player he is. Yeah, I'll tell you what, you ask any of the players at the IPL where it's just meant to be batsman-friendly, um, if they found it easy scoring runs against Rashid Khan, well, I think, you, you know, you think again. Well, how can you explain the scores getting bigger if, if batting's not getting easier? Well, there's probably a myriad of uh, reasons why. Um, the guys are practising hitting hitting bigger. As you said, the boundaries have probably got a little bit smaller. I think the pitches have got better and better um, over the years as well. Um, the, the tactics are getting better. It's, it, there's lots and lots of different different reasons. I don't think by saying, OK, um, let's only play three bowlers and they can bowl all of the overs, that's necessarily going to make a massive difference um, to, to, the, to the scores. I reckon if you've got the best bowlers bowling more often, the scores are going to get are going to decrease, and it's going to go back in the fielding side's favour. But anyway, we could talk about this for ages, Mike. Maybe a little bit. We could argue about this for now. Some great debate there, Mike. But we want to hear what you think. So head to Twitter, use the hashtag Unplayable Podcast, and tell us your view on this week's backward point. Mm-hmm. 
All right, Mike, that's the end of the episode, mate. Thank you very much for coming back on. You've just spent, uh, what, how many weeks? Six or seven weeks in India with the IPL champions Chennai Super Kings back with MS and Faf and Shane Watson, who pulled out an absolute blinder in the final to win it all. Oh, yeah, it was a fantastic experience, fantastic tournament. Um, yeah, I was very fortunate, really, uh, to be working with a great bunch of guys. And, uh, yeah, Watto in the final, wow, he was just amazing. Uh, he was actually zero off off about nine or ten balls and we were chasing 180 in the final and I think everyone on the sidelines and maybe himself a little bit as well were getting a little bit worried thinking come on Watto you've got to get on with it a bit here <laughs> and then I think his next 37 balls he, he peeled off a, a hundred runs and um, he batted superbly it, it really was Watto of old gave himself a bit of time and then just uh, destroyed the uh, Sunrisers attack um, it was yeah and, and yeah fantastic to MS Dhoni uh, uh, Chennai Super Kings two years out of the tournament be able to come back and win it. Um, I, I know it meant a lot to MS uh, Dhoni and, and, and certainly to all the franchise, the people involved. Um, a lot of hard work went in um, uh, behind the scenes by the owners. And uh, and so, yeah, it was a really pleasing tournament, uh, really wrapped for everyone. Uh, we're going to hear more of you, Mike, not just on this podcast, but across the summer because you've signed with Fox Sports for their cricket coverage over the next summer. And tell us about that. Exciting. You're going to be with a pretty good commentary lineup. It's, it's really exciting. I'm, I'm really uh, looking forward to uh, Fox's summer of cricket. I know Fox have been wanting to get involved with uh, the domestic cricket or uh, cricket in Australia for a long period of time. Um, now they've got a nice, you know, well, playing all, all of the cricket, really. Uh, and, and as you touched on, it's a, a great team they've assembled as well. And that was the main thing that sort of probably uh, excited me the most. Um, I, I wanted to work with really good people, uh, and, and I think they're putting together a, a, a fantastic commentary team, hopefully bring a lot of uh, insight um, into, into what the, what's going on in the players' minds and how they're playing the game and, uh, and a lot of passion as well. So, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, we've got a big summer coming up too. Uh, I'm particularly looking forward to the Australia versus India Test Series. I think that should be a cracker. Awesome, Mike. Well, thank you again for your insight today. And I'm sure we're going to hear more about uh, bowlers being able to bowl as many overs as they want in one-day cricket in the future. <laughs> uh, I don't know. As I said, I haven't given it a lot of thought, but my initial, my initial thoughts are no, I like it the way it is. Fantastic. Thanks again, Mike. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week to wrap up the one-day series and preview the one-off T20 match. But until then, head to cricket.com.au for your cricket news, scores and video. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, People that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.